Hello, hello. This is the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Are you there, Scott? Okay. So now uh, we're here with Lorna Bennett. Um, let's see. Uh, Lorna's experienced relationship and intimacy coach. Lorna offers mindfulness, meditation, movement, and embodiment exercises and sports empowering clients with everyday life practices to connect more deeply with everyday uh, with deeply with, uh, and authentically in relationships with self and others. She celebrates people turning themselves on mentally, physically, and spiritually to live their passion and purpose through freedom and connection. With more than 25 years experience in teaching, consulting, business leadership, and organizational development, Lorna has served as a change catalyst under, the many, under many umbrellas. Welcome, Lorna. Thank you for that beautiful intro, BJ. Okay. So, um, yeah, so let's start the conversation off a little bit about, um, you know, your primary focus, primary focus is on relationships and intimacy. Um, tell us a little bit about what makes for a good, what makes a good, um, the ability to create good, good atmosphere for intimacy, you know, create a ideal circumstance for intimacy in relationships, um, you know, both in romantic as well as maybe we could talk about just in general, like, you know, I think intimacy is a key ingredient in all relationships. Uh, there's a level of intimacy that we want to create for, you know, with um, our parents, with our with our siblings, with our friends. So just intimacy in general, and we can talk about individual, um, you know, kind of requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, um, big question. And let, let me start by saying two things. One is we'll go a little microcosm. I have five essential life practices. Everything um, really boils down to five things. Mindfulness meditation, movement, masturbation, which I mean literally as well as metaphorically, and meaning or metaphor. Um, and those are the practices that I work with when I work with folks. But to get really big picture here, what is it that creates fulfillment in our lives and in our relationships? We can really boil all of our needs as humans down to two needs. And those two core human needs are love and connection and authentic self-expression. And most of us, when we are infants, abandon authentic self-expression in favor of love and connection. And of course we do this because we need love and connection in order to survive. So a lot of our work as adults is reconnecting with that sense of self. Who am I at my core? And how do I feel the freedom to express authentically? And how do I do that while also finding the intimacy, the love and connection that I so deeply desire out there in the world. So that's just a place to start and we can dive in wherever you'd like to dive in. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me think. There's so many different aspects to that. That um, I, I did want to get into like um, the, the wisdom of complaint in relationship, like voicing, like a lot of times we feel like, um, you know, yeah. we have to like, stifle what's coming out for us i think in in intimacy yeah. like we have to please the other person there's a lot of people pleasers out there um who i think will identify with the idea that you know the intimacy means everything's riding smoothly perhaps mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know that that might be a, a perception for many people and how can we address that in line with what you're saying like the harmony and the the kind of good feelings you know good feeling vibes but at the same time you know yeah. we have to voice what's coming up for us yeah yeah, well, and, and just again to normalize what you just said, this people-pleasing, you called it, tendency that so many of us have, or perhaps a, a pattern that we're seeing in ourselves to self-abandon in order to stay in relationship with other. Again, that's been wired in since we were young, and that's something that we learned to do. I will learn to read the needs and desires of my caregiver um, in order to stay in love and connection, because we needed to do that to survive. So I just want to normalize that, and perhaps we can hold a little more um, 
sweetness and compassion when we when we see those tendencies in ourselves. This takes a lot of unwinding. Um, and then the wisdom of complaint. What I would say about that is, well, one, complaint is a pretty easy access point for most of us, right? <laughs> I think most of us can pretty quickly come up with something about our partner that drives us crazy or something about relationships in general that feels really challenging. So it's an easy entry point to begin an exploration. And the fascinating thing is that what lives just underneath complaint is desire. That is where our desire lives. So, you know, I think the conversation here becomes a couple things, or rather the exploration becomes a couple things. The first part is really getting curious about and investigating the desire that lies just underneath the complaint. We're usually expressing it as a complaint, but underneath that there's a desire. So what is the nutrient? What is the nourishment? What is the need that lives there? What is that desire is the first part of that investigation. And then the second part, I would say, is taking radical responsibility for my end of it. Taking radical responsibility for my energetic contribution. How am I contributing to this dynamic that I'm complaining about? Mm. Um, And we can pause in a second, but one thing I'll say there about radical responsibility is questions I like to ask are in any given moment and I can do this in relationship with my partner I can do this anytime in life noticing and this is a mindfulness exercise too in this moment am I opening am I expanding or in this moment am I closing Mm. am I contracting another way to ask that that's you know a little more sensual and playful would be in this moment, am I turning myself on? Or in this moment, am I turning myself off? Mm. And notice I didn't say, are you? Yeah. <laughs> or is this thing out there? It's am I? Yeah. And I think that also uh, relates to giving space to one's emotions, you know, giving space to the emotions of others and the give and take that happens in a spacious environment. As you were saying, space is a love language. You mentioned in the pre-interview. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that in regards to like when negative emotions come out, giving space to them so that they can, they can tell us what the, what the desire is underneath rather than stifling them so they become constricted, I think is the, is the key there, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and and this concept of space as a love language, which um, others have made the case that space should be the sixth love language, um, and I certainly concur. But just to review the ones that we commonly talk about, the five love languages that became quite well known were words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time. I'm trying to make sure I get them all here. Acts of service and gifts giving gifts. So if we talk about or hold room for the possibility of a sixth love language, which is space, that becomes really interesting in a couple uh, ways. One is this idea that we all, parts of all of us, have a desire for freedom, which ties directly to that need for authentic self-expression. I need a sense of who I am apart from and aside from love and connection with others. This idea of space as a love language also relates beautifully to two energies that are always at play in intimate relationships, and yet they don't get talked about, rarely get talked about in the mainstream. And those two energies are resonance and polarity. Resonance is what has us feeling intimacy and connection and safety and security, sameness. And polarity is actually the energy that creates and sustains desire in relationship. And the the essential ingredient of polarity for polarity 
is space. We can't desire something that we already have, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And Scott, do you want to get in there a little bit for a quick question? Or? <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was a great point. That, that last, we can't desire something that we possess, did you say? I, I think I said that, or that we already have. Yeah. That we already have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just thinking that as well. Like, you know, how do we still maintain that connection, I guess, with a partner while we're, while we are away, while we're in that, while we are in that space. Yeah. And I'm hearing, you know, if, you, if you're in touch with, I guess, your own needs, even in that separation, that's going to, I guess, bring, bring you back stronger, a stronger intimate connection with your partner. Um, but what what are some other ways that maybe we can still maintain that connection when we're when we're when we are apart from from the partner? I love that question. And when you say maintain that connection, are you speaking of what you just mentioned? Of how do I maintain that connection and deep sensing of self as I engage with other? Or are you talking about how do I maintain that intimacy, that connection with my partner? Right, a little, a little of both. Maybe with the partner, I'd like to hear a little, a little more of. Um, but you can touch touch on on both aspects. But the intimacy with the partner when when you are apart. When you are apart, yeah. Well, I think part of the essential. Um, what do I want to say here? Part of what is usually missing <laughs> in relationships is awareness. Awareness consciousness, am I even aware in any given moment of relating with my partner? Um, what is happening for me, my own thoughts, my own body, my own emotional experience in the moment? Yeah. Um, and am I aware of what it is, going back to that question of complaint and desire, am I even aware of what it is I'm desiring in this moment? So, um, Am I in this moment wanting to feel, I'll just make up an example, but if I'm co-parenting with my partner and we need to deal with something that's up with one of our teenagers, for example, if I'm conscious and aware in that moment, what I'm probably desiring is intimacy, a real sense of you understand what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying. We have this resonance. We have this partnership. We have this togetherness. And there's a safety and a security in that that serves as a really beautiful foundation for parenting. On the other hand, there may be a moment where I'm traveling and my partner is back at home and I'm missing him and I'm getting pretty excited to come home and see him. And if I really tap into what am I desiring when I pick up the phone or when I pick, you know, when I call him or text him, in that instance, what I might be desiring is to create some sexual tension, to create some desire. There might be some foreplay that's happening in that, that spaciousness. So in that case, what I would want to do is really stay with practices, ways of being with myself and in my body and ways of relating with him that will cultivate the polarity, that will keep the spaciousness, that will create the desire, not go to those behaviors and words and um, ways of being that would serve an intimacy container really well. So they're very different. Does that make sense that Yep. What serves That's resonance it. and intimacy and what serves polarity are very different types of energies. And most of the time, we're just not aware of what it is we're even wanting to cultivate. Mm. I want to touch in a little bit on um, a quote by, uh, it's credited to Sherry Argoff, that women okay. tend to love men in their presence while men tend to love women in their absence, and and that we're giving kind of going into this, you know, gender, um, gender stuff, uh, gender. Although I don't want to be like you know broadly based, uh, you know, about all or kind of make stereotypes. But it's interesting that this quote hit my radar that uh, women tend to love men in their presence, 
Well, men tend to love women in their absence. What do you think about that quote and, and generally the gender? I, I love divide. that quote. I've never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. Um, well, you know, again, I think sometimes we can get ourselves into the weeds when we, when we use words like women and men. Yeah. Right? So I would almost tease, I would almost, I love the quote, and I think there certainly is a lot of truth in that probably for many women and probably for many men, we could also use words like masculine or feminine mm. um, or alpha or omega to replace men and women because all of us have masculine energy within us, regardless of our genitalia or how we identify um, from a gender standpoint. All of us have feminine energy. Um, where I think that quote really nails something is the masculine parts of all of us value freedom and cultivate consciousness which is expressed in presence so if you're holding an energy of conscious awareness and deep breath and embodied presence you're holding a very masculine energy and men are going to be attracted to that sense of spaciousness, thus that, or the masculine is going to be attracted to that sense of space. Whereas the feminine, feminine are, um, the feminine in all of us is the part that craves love and connection, that craves intimacy. So the feminine parts of us are always going to be yearning for and craving for togetherness. So maybe a, a, a simple way to say that would be the masculine parts of us are usually wanting less. Mm. <laughs> How can the moment be less? How can we just be? Yeah. That's the feminine parts of us are infinitely, forever, it never ends, craving more. The mm. moment can always be more. Mm. So there's going to be that sense of fullness perhaps not completeness, but full, fullness in your presence for the feminine parts of me that, that's going to feel really good. Yeah, And uh, the flip side of that is it can feel um, deeply painful for the feminine parts of us when there is not that presence or when there is a lot of space. So sometimes mm. the feminine parts of us can feel triggered and activated um, when it feels like there's too much space. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I want to connect that also to sacred sexuality, how we can yeah. kind of bring in uh, and honor the masculine and feminine and, and be more than just like a, a, you know, what's the word, like a, you know, kind of a normal thing, a normal thing, like or like a pedestrian or like a, you know, kind of a, bring it to the sacred um, in our intimacies. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I'm curious, DJ, since you brought that quote and Scott, you know, how that lands for you when you hear that and um yeah can you say a little bit about your own experience yeah i think uh for me i think i find that uh that space does give me time to like remember and uh, yearn um i think that when there's when i'm when i'm kind of intrigued by someone by a woman or by uh you know i think that thing, when i'm kind of away i tend to like yearn more there's a yearning that comes up in a space, actually, that gives me room to flourish that yearning rather than I feel like the, I, when I'm performing, when I'm with someone, you know, there's a sense of performance. I love, I love yeah. Yeah. Word yearning that you're bringing. And yeah. How that connects with this idea of space creating desire. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And the idea that when you're in presence, you're like performing as a man, you know, you're like trying to uh, kind of play into the gender role of being the mm -hmm. actor as opposed to allowing the the kind of yearning to grow, you know? Yeah. So that's my experience. Yeah. And Scott? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I like, you know, that, that, that space time to, you know, nurture my, my, own, my own needs and, and, and that sort of thing. But while engaged with partner, I fall, I think, more towards the feminine side of things where I, I, I want that more. I want that, that connection. I want to, um, to, to kind of really deeply engage with, with, with things and, and, um, 
So I, I oscillate between between those two quite quite a bit. Um, my, well, my my question, I guess, is yeah, um, you know, getting back, I guess, to the to the five M's of, of, <laughs> of that. And if we're talking about intimacy, um, can can we can we look elsewhere for intimacy? Uh, throwing in a sixth M of, of monogamy, of course. Um, can we be emotionally intimate with somebody outside of our partner? Um, I know some people will will believe you can be physically intimate with with other people if that's an agreed thing behind uh, between between relationships. But what level of, of connection and, and intimacy can you um, can you also bring to other to other relationships in your life? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really um, relevant question. You know, this is such a part of our cultural conversation these days. And just to really zoom out and answer the question about intimacy in general, I mean, I want to say, you know, not only can we experience intimacy with others outside of our primary partnership, but if we're conscious, if we're aware, if we're present, and if we're embodied, we can't help but experience intimacy with others. That will be a natural byproduct of, of what will happen. Um, and I think in this day and age, you know, we, we have placed so many expectations on what our primary partner will be for us, even just looking through that lens of resonance and polarity. It's a tall order to, to, for me to say, I need you to be all of my safety, all of my security, the one who I trust, the one who I tell everyone to. And in a moment, in an instant, I need you to turn around and be, um, you know, just the hottest, sexiest, uh, you know, this, this person who is not intimate with me on a daily basis and who I'm not taking the garbage without uh, out with I also mean I, w- I want to have hot sex with you for 20 30 years you know this is this is a lot to ask of one person and on one hand my practices around resonance and polarity have shown me that that is possible it is possible to have both with one person with one person. That being said, I think to your point, if we can take off that one person, the expectation that they will meet all of our desires and flavors for intimacy, and if we can allow intimacy to happen out there in life with myself, with other platonic relationships, with with God spiritually, then I think um, we're lightening the load that we're placing on our partner. Mm. Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, kind of circle back to kind of this idea of, you know, making these um, understandings, um, you know, and, and the kind of the, the communication sacred and how we hold these communications sacred and what does it mean to hold something sacred? Love it. I mean, it's such a, <laughs> I, l- I love and hate that question in that it's such a loaded word, right? Isn't it? You know, what, what does sacred mean? Um, for me, a sensing of the sacred is a sensing of the beyond self, a sensing of the, the transpersonal. In relationship, it's a sensing of, well, sensing with ecstasy and awe, the presence, the here now presence of the divine in this space between us. And I'll, I guess, differentiate between a few different kinds or ways of relating. One way of relating in an intimate relationship is very me-focused. We could call that a selfish way wherein I'm mostly just concerned with how do I get my needs met in this moment with this person. A second way of relating is a very we-focused 
So we could call that healthy relationship. And that's what gets touched a lot in couples therapy and in healthy dialogue, right? How do we both get to be here as two human beings with all of our pain and all of our needs and do our best to have this we mentality and everybody gets their needs met. And then there's this third way of relating that, again, I would say doesn't get talked about much. And we could just call that the love with a capital L realm or the sacred realm, wherein, again, we're moving beyond my needs, moving beyond even we, and sensing into something bigger, asking questions in moments like, what would love do? Or even just, you know, this might sound a little esoteric and out there, but, you know, I can feel myself in a moment. I can feel you in a moment. And if I really tap in, I can feel the moment itself and ask a question that's, that's more like, what is this moment desiring? What is this moment inviting to occur in this space between us? And I think when we start tapping that, we're in the sacred realm. And and I'd love to hear from you, Scott, and from you, BJ, what that means or doesn't mean for you. But I, I guess I'll just end with saying, and it's, it's not for everyone. It's not something that, that all of us are interested in. And can that be perfectly okay, too? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I, I feel you have, like, the I, the we, and, and that plays to me kind of like, like the be. Like, like this, mm. you know, you're just, just being. Um, and... And the idea of kind of, you know, presence and, and openness to, I guess, the, the world um, to exist in that. And that can be yeah, even nonverbal. Um, and, yeah. and just, yeah, that, that I guess, yeah. ties to meditation. But, but yeah, I really like centering in on that. And, yeah, I hadn't heard it phrased in that, um, that, that I and we. I, I'm, I'm game. I love that <laughs> just as a well, concept. And thank you for that insight of the nonverbal. Yes. And in my experience, my experience has been that in the we realm, in that realm of healthy relationship, there's a lot of emphasis on the verbal. We learn how to communicate our needs. We learn how to actively and empathically listen to our partner. We learn how to communicate effectively when we're in conflict a lot of emphasis on words and communication on the verbal. My experience has been when we get into the sacred realm, these are mostly, if not all, <laughs> no word practices. Mm. It's about the way we breathe. It's about the way we hold eye contact. It's about the way we are in our bodies and with our bodies in relationship to our partners. So all of this is is outside of and beyond the, the realm of words, which is also mm. really interesting to notice. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, I yeah. want to touch in a little bit about fantasy um, and the role of fantasy in relationships. Um, mm. You know, at the top of the hour, you, you drop the intriguing um, bombshell of, uh, you know, kind of the taboo topic of masturbation and, uh, kind of for our listeners, they'd be like, Oh, wow, you're going to bring that into the conversation. And, um, you know, I like to bring back intimacy and then relate it to how that plays a role in, in the relationship, you know? Yeah. Fantasy was the, was part of what I heard you say. And yeah. as well, how that relates to and ties with masturbation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, a thought that came for me as you brought in fantasy, and I love that you brought that into this space, is sometimes, um, and again, I'd love to know your experiences here, but sometimes fantasy can be a little, um, sometimes we, we resist going into our own fantasy, mm. particularly um, my experience has been with myself and with, with people I've worked with, particularly if there's any kind of taboo. Mm. associated with the fantasy we tend to start to then feel something is wrong yeah. with that 
or with me and and therefore perhaps resist really deeply exploring that taboo and really deeply exploring that fantasy. And this ties back to um, where does desire live? I think if we're willing to be a yes to exploring that taboo fantasy, perhaps even in as much sensual detail as possible, what we'll get on the other side of that is a ton of information about our own desire, as well as what our deepest human needs are that lie underneath that fantasy. Mm. For example, I'll just say a common um, feminine taboo will revolve and fantasy will revolve in some way around um, not being in control. Mm. Perhaps. You know, this is just a common one that, that you'll hear. And if we really go underneath the surface of that, you know, on the surface, it might look like, oh, this fantasy of, of being restrained, for example. But if we really go under the surface of that, what we might begin to uncover for that person, and of course, it's, it's different for all of us. I'm just making this up on the spot here, but is that there's a deep need. I have a deep need in partnership to trust my partner so implicitly that I can surrender my need to manage and control mm. that I can just be with my pleasure and with the moment and with the experience without needing to do a thing. So, you know, the real nourishment there might be actually about trust and this deep need for trust more than it is about, you know, sort of this, the surface details of yeah. that fantasy. Interesting. Interesting. And, um, so did, did that answer that? And I feel like there was a second piece of that. Oh, and the masturbation piece, you know, this a bit goes in a different direction for me, but I, I said that that is one of my five essential practices, both literally and metaphorically. So I am oh. a believer in, in self, pleasure, literally, um, mm. turning myself on on a daily basis. Mm. The metaphorical piece of that goes back to that personal responsibility. I take personal responsibility on a daily basis and on a moment-to-moment moment basis um, of am I turning myself on in this moment or am I turning myself off? Yeah. And starting to really notice the ways in which I do that. It's, in, it's incredibly revealing when you start paying attention to, oh, when I stand with my arms crossed, this certain habitual way I've been doing my whole life, that's actually the way I turn off. Mm. Or when I put on this type of clothing, these tight jeans, <laughs> that was an actual example for me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually turning off. And what would it feel like to choose this other clothing that's a little more flowy and sensual and I can really move and breathe in it. Oh, huh. Suddenly I feel really alive mm. and connected to my body and turned on again. Yeah. Masturbation can mean a lot of things. Yeah, it's interesting because I really deeply connect. I don't know if I was made clear, but I deeply connect fantasy to masturbation because obviously I feel like when self-pleasing there's a big fantasy element to that. You're kind of imagining, you know, scenarios or, or different things. That, or pornography would be an example of kind of providing a stimuli for, um, but deeper using your imagination engaged with uh, any kind of um, uh, visual stimuli or, or whatever it is. It, it requires that fantasizing, I think, in my experience. I don't know. Um, so I feel like they're very deeply connected. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, and um, and I want to let Scott jump in, too, if he wants to. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, too, around, um, you know, the, the use of pornography and how pornography plays into this. And I, I think the main thing I would want to emphasize is noticing our own relationship to ourselves. What's coming up for us when we're in that, that self-pleasuring experience? And 
on the heels of that is there shame. Mm. You know, on the heels of that is there some story of something's wrong with me or something's wrong with that fantasy or that taboo. I mean, yeah. you know, the, what does the word taboo even conjure up for us? Yeah. And um, which is very different than an experience of compassion and curiosity of, oh, huh, that's a really interesting fantasy that keeps coming up for me. I'm going to really allow myself to explore that to start to uncover what's the nourishment, what's the need, what's the deep desire underneath. Mm. Thank you. Um, Lots of folks going through my head on this, yeah. Um, (laughs) No, um, fantasy-wise, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, yeah, like, you know, where, when you're fantasizing of past experiences versus other, th- you know, being present with that person or being kind of fantasizing off in getting, you know, whatever it is in, in your zone. Um, yeah, balancing, balancing that. Um, I, I'm also thinking of, you know, what happens when you're with a partner and, you know, your fantasies necessarily aren't aligning. And you need to, you know, I guess, be open and flexible in in taking into account what is going to turn that other person on. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I love. Well, and there are two pieces of that that are really fascinating that you just brought in, Scott. One is um, how fantasy can be a way of, of avoid being avoidant, right? Of right. ejecting from the present moment. If I'm with my partner and I'm in that moment fantasizing about a past experience or imagining a future one playing out, I'm not actually in my body or in this present moment. And I'm certainly not connecting with my partner. Right. So that's a really beautiful awareness that you just brought in. And there are so many micro practices here that I, that I could suggest, but just to say one out loud, because sometimes it's fun to give, you know, just a real concrete example. One way that you can very quickly um, drop in to an intimate moment with your partner or with any human being is start paying attention to their breath and try to breathe with them for a minute or three. (laughs) If, If you can find your partner's breath, and then start breathing with them. And this is just something you do, you know, you don't need to make a big production out of it. It's just sort of a secret thing you can do. (laughs) If you can find your partner's breath and begin to breathe with them, you are absolutely going to find yourself present. And I mean, who knows? I would just be curious to hear if you tried this practice, what possibilities would unfold from there? Because suddenly you're out of your head and you're in the present moment. And when we're in the present moment, we are available for pleasure, possibility, love, and connection. Whereas when we're in our head, we're in a word, unavailable. We're not here. Um, the second piece, oh, the second piece I just appreciated that you brought in was this idea of communicating and how important it can be to share our fantasies and share our desires with our partner and and you said you know what do we do when they're not the same i mean i i kind of want to just normalize that and say i would expect them to not be the same right Right, (laughs) and one of the reasons we're so attracted to our partner you know or those of us who love polarity and like to play in the realm of polarity polarity is all about difference polarity is all about being attracted to what is not me and what is not my experience so you know just kind of remembering that too that expect difference and and just get really curious for yourself and for your partner about this idea of what's the nourishment what's the need underneath that fantasy because it's always so much more rich than it appears on the surface it's not just that surface you know i want to be tied up <laughs> Right. Yeah. There, there's, no, 
Yeah, I love that that sharing of the breath. I mean, it's almost, I was thinking like you have mutual masturbation, but you have mutual meditation. It's almost like you're 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 meditating together. Yeah. And and I probably made it sound very easy, like oh, just do this. I, you know, my experience has been. I would be curious what listeners' experiences will be. It's humbling to <laughs> to realize at first until you really started to train yourself in that. Goodness, it's really challenging to be so in my body and so in this moment that I can track another human's breath mm. and then start to breathe with them. Thanks. It's a lot harder than we think at first. So as some of my yeah, listeners, uh, I just listen to the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. We're here with co-host Scott Raven and special guest Lorna Bennett. Um, we're talking a little bit about fantasy and, and relationships and intimacy. Um, yeah, one thing that came up for me is about the role of like, uh, you know, a lot of times we have modeling in, in the in genres and in, in the arts, um, you know, like of relationships, you know, a lot of people will, you know, kind of this came to mind because of fantasy and around, around the, the movies and, and books and literature, um, of relationships. Um, and I want to invite you to say if there's any kind of relationship in a movie that you feel exemplifies some of the skills of intimacy. And any particular, I know you mentioned a scene from Indiana Jones. I wasn't sure if that was related <laughs> to relationships or if that was just a fun scene that you uh, called to mind. Uh, if you could talk about a little bit of that, yeah. Oh, oh, that's funny. You know, I'm going, nothing is, sadly, nothing is jumping immediately to mind in popular culture for me. Yeah. I will challenge myself to be there. I'm going to take that as a challenge yeah. to come up with a popular culture example of, wow, that feels like a really beautiful conscious connection yeah. um, in that moment in a movie. I, you know, I'm happy to say what it is about the Indiana Jones theme that I think is powerful. And it, it, it relates to love and life in that one of the things that I think gets missed in in life and in popular culture movies is this moment of, I would call the word surrender and the power, the necessity of this moment of surrender in tapping true power and potential in life and in love. And um, do we have a minute to talk about the Indiana Jones example or I don't know where we are in time. Yeah, we have like 10 more minutes. Um... So, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm 48, so I'm, you know, dating myself here with this example. So some, some listeners will be like, well, who's Indiana Jones? But, you know, <laughs> Harrison Ford played Indiana Jones, and he was just this very lovable um, archaeologist hero. And it's in the one, uh, the Holy Grail, where Indiana Jones is on an accidental search following his father who was searching for the Holy Grail. And there's a scene in which Indiana Jones's father, who is played played by, um, oh my goodness, what's his Sean name? Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah. Sean Connery. So Sean Connery is deep in this cave um, with presumably the cup of Christ on his deathbed. He's dying. Indiana Jones has to save him. And Indiana Jones is following a series of deciphered clues um, to get through many obstacles. And that's really the case in every Indiana Jones movie. Lots of obstacles. So he comes to what can only be described as a chasm. There's just the, the path in this cave ends. And he looks down and it looks something like the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's just this never-ending abyss. And the clue that he's deciphered is interpreted as something like um, the path will reveal for the man of faith or only for the man of faith will the path reveal. And we just see Indiana Jones sweating bullets because one, here he is on this precipice, this abyss, there's no way across and his father is dying. And two, something that feels deeply true for Indiana Jones and we know this about him through his character development is he's not a man of faith. He is a man of, of reason. <laughs> and so he just has this moment where he pauses and it truly becomes this beautiful illustration of a leap of faith because his only options are 
to give up, turn around and go back. And his father dies and he, you know, doesn't save the world. Or he steps forward onto this path that he can only trust is there. It cannot be seen. So there's sweating bullets, sweating bullets, sweating bullets, and it's all very beautiful cinematography. And we see him hover his foot over the edge, and then he finally lets himself drop. And he falls maybe two or three feet. And then they change the camera angle. And you can see that there's this invisible bridge that was invisible to the naked eye because it's just from the top visually morphed into the cavern. It was not, you know, it was not there for him to see. But so he lands, he takes this leap of faith, he is caught, he runs to the other side. And probably my favorite part of the whole, you know, visual telling of this story is once he gets to the other side, he pauses again and he scoops up some sand and gravel and he tosses it back onto that bridge so that he can see it on the way back. And I, I love that the most because here was this, this incredibly profound moment in this hero's life where he actually steps into the complete unknown. He mm. takes this leap of faith. He's caught. He has the actual experience of being caught. And yet there's this beautiful humanness in knowing even after we do that, even after we have that profound experience of surrender and being caught by life, we will forget and fear will come up again. So I just liked that too, that, you know, it's one of the things that makes Indiana Jones a likable, a lovable hero is his humanness. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, beautiful description of that. Yeah, I, that seems so resonant for me growing up. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And just and just that ta- and just in wanting to travel and kind of take certain leaps of faith in life and yeah. Um, I remember watching even with my own dad. Yeah. That's uh, that's wonderfully described. I had forgotten that part. Yeah, when he tosses it back too. That's a great moment. There's another. There, you know, the, the metaphor in that is just this idea of falling in love with the unknown. Yeah. If, if we can fall in love, if we can trust fall into the unknown again and again and again in our lives, which involves trusting what we can sense but not see, and there are a lot of sensing muscles that we're not trained to build um, culturally. But if we can fall in love with the unknown, then we get to have the experience of living freely. And I really think that's the only way the only path <laughs> to have that experience. So interesting. And um, one thing I want to mention is the uh, other Harrison Ford moment that uh, a lot of people talk about in regards to relationships. Um, the Empire Strikes Back, where Carrie Fisher's character, Princess Leia, says, you know, I love you. And he responds, I know, which apparently was improvised, which apparently was improvised by Harrison Ford. I guess it's, I, I confirmed that it's true that he improvised it. And it seems to, and the original script called for him to say, I love you too, which, uh, which was very interesting. She also claimed the originally scripted line for Solo was say, I love you too. And he responded, I know, and they kept it. And it's one of the, one of the anthems. For many men to say, like, to refer to as being like an understand, I don't know, men tend to like that line. I don't know. But what do you think about that? Yeah. I had no idea that was unscripted. That yeah. makes me love that all the more. Yeah. It's such a, uh, it's so interesting how the relationship developed that he was pursuing her all this time. And then when she says, I love you, he's like, I don't need, I said it so much. That he loves her, that he doesn't need to say it again, kind of a thing. Well, the trust there. Something that, that, that I'm loving, and I'll say this and I'd love to hear how it lands for you, is it's such a disruption of the transactional expectations that we have in relationships and love. Mm. And I think that plays out even in, in the saying of I love you. You know, we just sort of have this idea, or maybe even sometimes say the words I love you to get it in return. Oh. There's like a Which subtle is agenda. different than expressing something or giving a loving gift. Pure, pure generosity and love. 
untethered from needing to get anything back. Mm. Yeah, unconditional love is the objective, I think, right? Yeah, just so that's the, just an interesting disruption of the, the normal expected script there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I want to remind listeners you're listening to Ready for Brooklyn. Um, Ready for Brooklyn is a listener-supported radio, so our mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, uh, provide media literacy, and promote media literacy, uh, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So every dollar that you provide uh, helps us to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support us with the monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and like doing it in a way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbrooklyn.com slash Amazon and register Ready for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile Charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase will benefit Ready for Brooklyn. If you'd like to listen to Ready for Brooklyn and you're not in front of your computer, if you're doing that right now, please download our free mobile app for iPhone or Android, available the App Store for Android, for App Store for iPhone, Google Play Store for Android. Um, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. You get emails. Um, so if your inbox is not too full, you can sign up at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So we'll close with some final thoughts at ways we can follow your work, Lorna, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, keep in touch. Um, and learn about in coaching. Tell us that, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I'm on social media under Lorna Bennett Coaching on Instagram. That looks like Lorna underscore Bennett underscore coaching. Um, folks can please email me as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this podcast, Lorna at LornaBennettCoaching.com. And I'd just like to express appreciation to you, DJ, and you, Scott, that you know, it's such a, a conscious container for a conversation you've created. And, um, you know, you're, you're truly doing this service of making truth to power possible. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And I hope people have discovered there's so many truths to learn. And, and when you embody those truths, I think, is when we discover our power. We really connect with that truth that we're talking about, connect with intimacy, connect with relationships. We'll we'll discover power and really be empowered. So Scott, any last thoughts? Yeah, no, just thank you for, for a lovely uh, conversation uh, on that. A lot of useful takeaways and um, yeah, just a pleasure to be here on uh, uh, from our three different corners um, taking this all in. Thank you. All right, stay tuned. For those of you listening live, please stay tuned to the next up, uh, next show or uh, follow us at readyfooking.org slash shoot to power and uh, tune into our archives when you can. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, guys.